Thank you guys for singing along tonight. You may be seated. Let me tell you a story. This, uh, this afternoon, actually around noon, I was with my kids eating peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. That's what we had for lunch. Graham and Grady and Georgia and I, Jennifer was there as well. Uh, we, were, we, were, we were having lunch together and, and it, something struck me that after tonight, my kids will be opening Christmas presents for three days straight. And I begin to think about this and I begin to realize, wow, like we've got them lined up. And so I, I, I told the boys, I was kind of excited about it. I told the boys, I said, guys, do you realize that starting tomorrow at noon that we're going to go, um, you're going to spend the night with Grammy and Papa, and then you're going to wake up and we're going to get to see our family and we're going to open presents on Friday, and then Saturday, we're going to drive to Stigler, Oklahoma, and we're going to open presents there. And then that evening, we're going to come back here, open presents again. And then uh, Sunday is Christmas, and you're going to wake up, and there'll be presents under the trees, and you're going to open presents there. And then uh, Sunday afternoon at lunch, we're going to open presents again. Wow. And, and then, it, then it struck me. Oh, man. I got to get a handle on this. That's okay that we're opening a whole bunch of presents, but we might be missing the point just a bit of Christmas. So being the good father who's the pastor of a church, I said to them, wait, 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 guys. That's that's cool that we get to do that, but wait, 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 wait. Did you guys see on Facebook, it's a side note, did you guys see on Facebook that there was a family who had 300 presents, not really under the tree, but around the tree. Did you guys see that picture on Facebook? Wow. It got me to thinking we, we could get carried away with the whole present thing. And so I said, I said, I said guys, do you know what, what Christmas is really about? Do you know what all these presents really kind of point us to? And Graham, without thinking, six-year-old, without even stuttering, he said, yeah, yeah, all these presents help to remind us about that God loves us and he sent Jesus. It's, son, that's, that's exactly right. That's what Christmas is really about. We've been doing this series here at Solace Church for the last couple of weeks. It's called No Other Name. The whole series concludes tonight on this Christmas service. This series has been about helping us understand that, that God has sent us something significant There is a person who was born some 2,000 years ago, and he had a very specific name. His name was Jesus, and he was going to do a very specific thing for us, which we'll talk about tonight. In this whole series, we've been talking about this, this idea that God sent us Jesus and that his name is significant. It is so significant that one individual who walked with Jesus some 2,000 years ago, his name was Peter, would make this incredible claim in the book of Acts, in what we call the New Testament in the Bible, in Acts the chapter 4, the 12th verse. And this is the claim that Peter makes. And we've been talking about this the past couple of weeks, that salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. 
So what we talked about over the past couple of weeks, and if you haven't been here, you can always watch our messages online at solacechurch.com. If you, if you haven't been with us, then, then basically what we've been saying is that when Peter made this claim, he made it before a whole bunch of religious people and leaders in the first century in Jerusalem. And this claim was powerful. It was so powerful that it caused one certain leader in Jerusalem to say, guys, if what he is saying is true, then I don't care what you try to do to stop it. It's not going to be stopped. If this is the name by which we're saved, you're not going to be able to do anything to keep this from spreading all over the world. And what we've learned over the past couple of weeks is that's exactly what happened. That because Jesus was born in Bethlehem, through his life, through his death, through his resurrection, that this whole movement called Christianity uh, was given birth. And, and out of that came thousands of followers of Christ. And then in a couple of hundred years, there were millions of followers of Christ. And there are today some two point something billion people who claim the name of Jesus as their savior. But what we learned is, church, that that isn't proof that there's only one way by which we can be saved. That's not proof. What we talked about last week is the fact that, that, that Peter didn't just say this. He actually began to prove to these people in the first century that, that Jesus was exactly who he said he was. He was. That, that, that the story of Jesus was talked about hundreds of years before Jesus ever even got here. We call that prophecy. That men, hundreds and even a thousand plus years before Jesus ever showed up on the scene, told that there would, be the, there would be a king who would be born in Bethlehem and he would save people from their sins. That's the story. And so last week we talked about how Peter himself, one of the followers of Jesus, used prophecy. But not just Peter, also a man named Paul who lived in the first century also talked about the fact that hundreds of years earlier, people said that, uh, that, that this Messiah would come to save us from our sins. This man, Jesus, Jesus, the name by which we are saved, also used prophecy. He said, hey, what they wrote about, I'm the guy. So, last week we talked about that all that pointed to Jesus. Now, I want to take you on this Christmas service now to the Christmas story. In a couple of days, you realize, just in a couple of days, you're going you're gonna to gather together as a family or whatever your scenario looks like. You're going you're gonna to wake up, and it's going to be the 25th, and, and, and we're going to celebrate this birthday of a guy who lived 2,000 years ago. The story of his birth is found in the first four books of what we call the New Testament the first book of the New Testament is the book I want you to turn to with me. Now, I want you to suffer. The first book of the New Testament is called Matthew. Matthew wrote the story of the birth of Jesus and the life of Jesus in what's called a gospel. Now, <clears throat> for a moment, just consider this. Do you realize that Matthew got the place in the New Testament, in the telling of the story of salvation, he got the place in the New Testament to be the first book of of the New Testament. That's a pretty prominent place. Why is Matthew placed there? What is Matthew's story? Before we look there, you have to understand a little bit about Matthew to really appreciate what you're about to read. So, so just for a moment, <laughs> I love that Matthew is the first book of the New Testament because my name's Matthew. I love that that's his story, but, but you gotta understand what Matthew went through before you read his words, do you know who Matthew was? Matthew, in the first century, was a Jewish 
tax collector. Now, now, church, hold on for a minute. He was not a Jewish historian. It wasn't as though Matthew was sitting around in the first century looking for this Messiah, this person, this king to come. It wasn't as though Matthew read the whole Old Testament and said, ah, well, I think this is about the time, and so I'll start looking for the Messiah. That's not at all how the story unfolds. You know what Matthew was doing in the first century? He was collecting taxes. He was an IRS agent. He was at a booth. He was collecting taxes. He would go to homes if necessary, and he would collect taxes, and sometimes he would add to the tax amount of the Jewish people so he could pad his own pocket, right? This is Matthew in the first century. Matthew wasn't looking for Jesus. Matthew wasn't really necessarily expecting something significant in his lifetime. Matthew was just living. And along one day, about 30 or so years after the birth of this man, Jesus, along the way, Jesus walks by and says, hey, why don't you come follow me? Now, certainly Matthew must have known something about Jesus or he wouldn't have left, it, left his job to go, but Matthew leaves his job as a tax collector and begins to walk with Jesus some two and a half or three years. He watches Jesus teach. He listens to his teaching. He watch, watches the miracles. He watches him die on a cross, and he understands and sees after the fact that Jesus rises from the dead. Matthew's life is forever changed by this man Jesus, right? Matthew is so changed by the life of Jesus, by the name by which men are saved, says Peter. He is so changed by this that Matthew chooses to write down. He is so different because of Jesus, he has to share it with everyone that he possibly can share it. So he writes the book of, 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 of the gospel of Jesus called Matthew out of this radical change he's experienced in his own life. Now, I, I want to say this. One more thing before we look at scripture. Tonight... I'm getting paid as your pastor to stand on this stage to tell you this story. Thank you for paying me to do this. Please hear this though. I'm not standing here today because I'm paid to be here or I must be here. I have to tell you that I can so appreciate the gospel of Matthew and why he wrote it because Jesus has forever changed my life as well. When I was five years old, I accepted this name by which men are saved, by which our sins are forgiven. I accepted him into my life, and my life has forever been changed because of it. And I am standing before you tonight as one who is changed by Jesus, and I want to introduce you to the same Jesus who has changed my life forever. When I was five, I get it. I didn't have a radical story of transformation, right? I wasn't this hardened criminal and this, deeply, this person deeply addicted to some, you know, some kind of drug. I probably had lied a couple of times and maybe stolen a toy from my brother. That's about as bad as it got when I was five, right? But Jesus entered my life and I was forever different because of it, right? Who is this man? All right, so Matthew writes the gospel. Why does he write it? Because he wants to prove to you that Jesus is who he said he was because he has made such a difference in his own life. Now, I want to take you just for a couple of minutes to Matthew chapter 1, the first chapter and the first verse. This is Matthew's account of the story of Jesus, and he's going to tell you why you too can believe in the Jesus who changed his life, all right? So I want to take you just for a moment to Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. This is a powerful way to start a book, a record of the family tree of Jesus. Okay, all right. That's a terrible way to start a story. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, have you ever grabbed a hold of a book and the story was just so compelling from the very beginning you couldn't put it down, right? This isn't it. 
This is the opposite of that kind of story. As a matter of fact, if I were advising Matthew on how to write the gospel of Jesus, I would not have started with a lineage. How many of you know this? When you read the New Testament, if you ever read Matthew, you skip chapter 1. You don't even read it because there's a whole bunch of names and it means nothing to you whatsoever. You just kind of breeze through them. You can't pronounce the names. I've got a four-year degree in theology. I can't pronounce some of the names. You just kind of breeze past it. Why would Matthew start there? Here's why Matthew would start there. This is what we're learning in this No Other Name series. The reason why Matthew starts with the genealogy of Jesus is because Matthew knows that the genealogy helps us prove that Jesus is the one that was prophesied about a long time ago. Do you remember this from last week? If you weren't here... This will be new to you if you were here. You saw it last week, right? We learned last week that Jesus, the Messiah, the one to save us from our sins, would come from the seed of a woman, the lineage of Shem, the descendants of Abraham, the line of, Jacob and, uh, the line of Isaac and Jacob, the tribe of Judah, the family of Jesse, and the house of David. If that doesn't mean anything to you, watch last week's message. All this means, though, is that God in the Old Testament told us this is how Jesus would come about. This is how the name would come about. So Matthew says, wait, 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 Matthew says, before you get started with the birth story, you need to understand this is exactly who I'm talking about. Now, I'm going to skip the next uh, 16 or 17 verses all the way to verse number 18 because I'm not going to read to you all the names. I'll butcher them. Skip with me now. Matthew says, hey, hey, I'm talking about the guy that everyone said, the prophet said was coming. I'm talking about that guy. Here's his story. Verse number 18. I love the way Matthew says it. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. All right, stop for a moment. What Matthew tells us is that the story of Jesus, this one who saves us from our sins, the story of Jesus happens this way, that Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. Now, the, the, the idea here of pledged to be married is the idea of betrothal or being betrothed. This betrothal is actually an interesting picture. It's the, it's the time between engagement and marriage. In the first century, there was actually another period of the relationship, and it was between the moment when you said we ought to get together and we, you know, we're committed to one another. It was the legally binding stage just previous before you got married. Now, that's important, all right? Hold, to that, hold on to that thought. They were pledged to be married, but before they came together, before the union that happens with marriage, she was found to be with child to the Holy Spirit. All right. <laughs> you got to know the backstory, or this you'll just breeze past something that just happened in the story. <laughs> All right. Luke, who also wrote the sto- about the sto- uh, life of Jesus, helps us understand what Matthew just said. Luke tells us that, that before Mary and Joseph got married, that Mary went to spend three months with Elizabeth, her cousin. Elizabeth is pregnant. She's pregnant with John, who would be the forerunner of Jesus. I don't have time to tell you that story, but she's pregnant with John. John is in Elizabeth's womb. Mary is there with Elizabeth. Mary, in this process of going from Joseph to Elizabeth to spend three months with her, um, it, it now is pregnant. She's pregnant with this miraculous conception through the Holy Spirit. That's what the story says. <laughs> All right, so she's gone three months and she comes home. Now the story picks up. She's pledged to be married to Joseph. She's gone three months, but before they hooked up, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Here's the way this worked. She left, not pregnant. She came back three months later in her second trimester. You left, and now you're back, and you're pregnant. That is a problem. So what happens? Verse number 19. 
because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace. Do you know that he could have, church? Do you know that he could have? You know, in the first century, to end the betrothal stage or the betrothal stage, what generally would happen is they would go before a magistrate, a judge, and they would put on public display this situation. A man had the right to tell everything this woman had done and the reason why he was divorcing her. Joseph had every right to do that, to embarrass her because of this, and Joseph was a righteous man, and he chose not to do that. Instead, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. There was a law in the first century that allowed you to be able to put to hand a divorce certificate in the presence of one or two witnesses and that would end the betrothal stage as well, right? He cared about Mary deeply. He didn't want to embarrass her, and so this is how he wanted to end the relationship. In verse number 20, if you haven't listened yet, tune into this. This is so important to, the, to every person in the room. But after he had considered this, this is so powerful. Every person in the room can relate to what's going on to Joseph in some level. Do you know what's taking place in the life of Joseph in this story? Matthew helps us understand the, the drama that's unfolding. Joseph receives the information that his wife is pregnant and he does not understand why. And before he understands it in any context, before God spoke anything to him, he is in this middle ground stage where he's received information about life and he has no ability to process it. He'd heard nothing from God. Have you ever been there before? Have you ever found out some news? Have you ever gone through a circumstance? Has life ever been difficult? Has life ever dumped on you? And you heard nothing from God in the midst of that. You are in that in-between land. What do I do with this information? How do I handle that? My friend, that is the life of the, the Christian. That is the life that we live in this world. And Joseph is in this situation. Don't think for a moment that this was like three minutes or 30 minutes. This is a period of time of deliberation. He is wondering what to do. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. I know you're thinking about divorcing her, but you should not because a miracle has been done in the life of Mary. And the story goes on to say this in verse number 21. Uh, so, so she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name. And let's just say this together. That's right. Because he will save his people from their sins. Because the greatest need of any person is to be forgiven of their sins. In verse number 22, the story goes on to say this. All this took place to fulfill, here goes Matthew, proving to us that Jesus is exactly who the prophet said that he was going to be, to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, Isaiah 7, 14. This is the quote from the Old Testament, if you want to look it up. This is the prophet that Matthew is referring to in Isaiah 7, 14. What did Isaiah say? Here's what he says in verse number 23. Matthew quotes it. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. In verse 24, the story goes on to say this. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded, and he took Mary home as his wife. Another great point of application. When you have information and no revelation from God, just wait on God's timing. When God speaks to you, do what he says. If Joseph would have put Mary away, he would have divorced the mother of God. He was obedient. And therefore was able to take part in this incredible story. In verse number 25, the story continues to unfold, but he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son because the prophet said the virgin would be with child. And he gave him the name 
something interesting takes place in the story. Joseph and Mary are married. They give, Mary gives birth to the son Jesus. Now, some time passes. We don't know if it's days, weeks, months, years, probably a couple of years that pass by in this birth narrative story, all right? So now the story is going to pick up again. Jo- Matthew is telling you about the story of the man who changed his life. And here's what he says happens next in the story. In, Act, in, in Matthew chapter 2, now in verse 1, some time has passed. And what the way Matthew says is after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod. Who is King Herod? King Herod is the, is the puppet king of Rome who's ruling Israel at this time when Jesus is born. King Herod, by the way, is of the lineage of Esau, Jacob's brother. Jesus, the king, was going to come through Jacob. Um, king Herod is the lineage of Esau. He's reigning over Israel. He's from the wrong lineage. He's in charge. He's the king. When the, during the time of the King Herod, Magi from the east came. Now, I don't know what birth narrative story you've heard, but this is the wise men in every play that I've seen. I've never seen the Magi in any Christmas play. They're always called wise men, right? The Magi, same idea, Magi and wise men. I'll explain who they are in just a minute. From the east, literally from where the sun comes up, from the east came to Jerusalem. Whoa, 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 whoa. Why is that important? King Herod, you're, you're from Esau's line. Okay, I don't know why you're doing on the, the throne of Israel right now. And why are there wise men coming from the east to Jerusalem? What is going on here? Context is important. Follow the story. <laughs> Who are the Magi? The Magi are literally wise men. They study the stars. They study astronomy and astrology. They are, they are schooled and learned men. Some scholars believe that these magi were either kings themselves or king makers. In other words, wherever they were, they were a part of bringing up and affirming whoever the next king would be. These men were influential. They were powerful leaders wherever they were. And they've come to Jerusalem to speak to Herod. Right? What do they ask? Verse number two. And they ask, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? They asked the king of the Jews where the king of the Jews is. (laughs) That's a problem. Where's the guy who's the king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. This begs a question. How did the Magi know that there was going to be a king born the king of the Jews? How did he know that there was going to be a person born king of the Jews, called king of the Jews? They saw a star. Well, how did they even know the star had any relationship whatsoever to a person that was going to be born the king of the Jews? How did they know that? We'll get there in just a moment. But think about that for a moment. Verse number three. When, the king, when king Herod heard this, he was disturbed. Of course he was disturbed. Do you know why he was disturbed? Because there's only one throne in Israel, and now there are two kings trying to occupy it. Folks, it, it, there's a lesson here for all of us to learn as well. Hear me. This is life as well. There is a constant battle within us all to determine who is going to be ruler of my life. There's only one throne that can be occupied in my life. It's either me or it's God. Herod is a picture of us all in this story, and he's disturbed, rightly so. You know why? Because when there are two kings in one throne, one king has to die. 
And all of Jerusalem is, is disturbed as well. Why? Because these men who are influential have come to Jerusalem and say, we're looking for a king. That's a powerful story, right? And so when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was born. Stop for a moment. Let's don't get to the answer yet. You know the answer, right? <laughs> it's Bethlehem. We'll get there, but hold on for a moment. Do you see what's just taking place? These magi, wise men, have come to Jerusalem. They said, where's the king? How do they know there was a king? This is a powerful, powerful storyline. Can I take you back in, just, in time for just a moment? Just, 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 for, just for a minute. Go back in time with me hundreds of years. In 586 B.C., Jerusalem, uh, the city and the temple are destroyed. Jews are taken into captivity into Babylon. There's some men, you may have heard them before. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Heard of them? Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. That is, their, that is their Jewish names. They are taken into captivity as well. They are taken to King Nebuchadnezzar's Babylon. King Nebuchadnezzar is reigning in Babylon. One night while they are in captivity, King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. This dream is so disturbing to him that he makes an incredibly just outlandish request of some people who are under his, his, his rule. King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. He's disturbed by it. And so he calls together the Magi, the wise man. He says to the Magi, he says, guys, come here, come here. I've had a dream and I need you to interpret it. And so the Magi said, absolutely, King. We'd be glad to interpret that dream for you. Can you tell us the dream? King Nebuchadnezzar says, no, this time it's not the way it's going to work. You're going to tell me the dream I had and you're going to interpret it for me. And they go, <laughs> so here's the deal. Just, just a that's impossible. There's no way we can tell you the dream. You need to tell us the dream and I, I will interpret it for you. And King says, nope, not going to happen. Nebuchadnezzar says to them, magi, wise men, if you do not tell me the dream and interpret it, you're dead, your family's dead, your neighbors are dead, I'm killing you all. Okay, okay. Okay, okay, King, we're going to need a minute. They rack in their brains. They remember that there's a Jewish man who is schooled in dream interpretation. They remember Daniel. They go to Daniel and say, Daniel, we need some help. The king's after us. He's going to kill us. We need to be able to have this dream interpreted. Daniel goes before Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar says to him, you must tell me the dream and be able to interpret it. And Daniel says, if you'll give me a moment, I need to go speak with my God. Good decision. He goes and he, and he receives revelation from God. He goes back to Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel recites for Nebuchadnezzar the exact dream that Nebuchadnezzar has and he interprets it for him. The dream is there's this huge statue. I wish I had time, but I don't have, to, I don't, I don't have time to tell you all about it. There's a huge statue. It represents different kingdoms that's going to come and fall over the course of time. Daniel tells him the dream and he gives them the interpretation of the dream. Nebuchadnezzar, after hearing the interpretation, literally falls flat on his face prostrate. He says to Daniel, your God is the one true God. Do you know what he does? After that, he elevates Daniel to second in command. He's in charge of all the province of Babylon. He also puts Daniel in charge of all the magi. Daniel is teaching the wise men. He sets up a school in Babylon instructing the wise men. What does Daniel know? Daniel knows that the interpretation of the dream is that it declares that there are series and successions of kingdoms when they all fall that a Messiah would come. That's the interpretation of the dream. 
also, remember church, if you were here last week, Daniel chapter 9, he receives another vision. And God tells him exactly when the Messiah would come. It's Daniel chapter 9, 24 through 27. We've already studied it. You're welcome. We studied it. Daniel is in charge of telling them all this. Most scholars, many scholars believe that these magi were schooled in Daniel's training. They knew the Messiah was coming in this period of time. That's why they showed up in Jerusalem. Hey, where's the king? Daniel, we went to his school. He told us he's coming. Do you know where he is? Herod says, hold on a minute, fellas, you know where he is? Yeah, he's supposed to be in Bethlehem. Hey, he's in Bethlehem now. I don't have time to read you the rest of the story. But Matthew meticulously lays out the case for how the storyline fits with all the prophecies. And here's how the story concludes. Here's what he says. Herod sends the, the wise men, the magi, into Jerusalem, or into Bethlehem. The magi find Jesus. They offer him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I remember a play we did a long time ago. There was a kid who stood up in the Christmas program and he was reciting this line and he said, and they brought him gold, frankincense, and something else. I, I wish I had time to tell you all about these gifts and the significance. They are significant. They weren't just treasures for them to be able to live on. They were significant and they were, they were almost prophecy in and of themselves, each of these gifts that they brought them. But think about this for a moment. The king of the Jews, Herod, rejects the real king of the Jews who can save him from his sins. Magi, non-Jews, Gentiles, come to worship the king and offer them give, him gifts and they worship him. Isn't this a powerful picture? When our hearts are in rebellion and we resist what God has provided for us in Jesus, we miss the salvation that comes through him. When we set up a kingdom for ourselves, we miss the ability to be saved and forgiven of our sins. And that's the story that's unfolding. Last point, and I'm done. Do you know that Matthew, in his gospel, as he's laying out the case for Jesus, at the very end of the story, when Jesus is, is crucified, also gives us an incredible picture of how Jews rejected Jesus, but a Gentile man named Pilate declares exactly what the Magi declared in the birth narrative. In the crucifixion of Jesus, Pilate, after he talks with Jesus, he ultimately condemns him to death. But he has a plaque, a, a, a wooden statement nailed above the head of Jesus as Jesus is hanging on the cross. Do you know what that statement said in three different languages? This is the king of the Jews. What's the story? The story is the Messiah has come. The story is, is that those who would give up the rightful heir of reigning on their own life and surrender their life to him would find forgiveness of sins and would find healing for their brokenness. That's the story of Christmas. So here's what I want you to do tonight. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Hey, this is Pastor Matt Blair. Thank you so much for taking time to check out our podcast today at solacechurch.com. You know, we realize that it's possible, as you listen to this message today, that God may have spoken to your heart about something. So if you made any kind of spiritual decision, we would love to know about that. You can email us at info at solacechurch.com and let us know what happened in your life today. Once again, thank you so much for taking time to check out this podcast.